First Person is produced in cooperation with the Far East Broadcasting Company, who rejoice in the stories of changed lives through the power of Jesus Christ. Learn more at febc.org. If money is your number one focus, and not looking bad is right there with that, you're going to go into a blame culture. And, and with that, it changes people's behavior. He's an award-winning Christian businessman and leader, and he's our guest on this edition of First Person. Welcome, I'm Wayne Shepherd. You'll meet Jim Killian in a few moments as we learn from his insight and wisdom of walking with God and learning from others himself. Our purpose here each week is to present the stories of people who have given their lives to Jesus Christ and learned to follow Him in whatever direction the Spirit of God leads. And we've met a wide variety of men and women over the years who all have a story to tell. You can access these interviews online at firstpersoninterview.com or you can download our free smartphone app, First Person Interview, and listen through the app. Also, with the app, you can download interviews and take them with you in the car or anywhere you go. Look for First Person Interview in your app store. Jim Killian has helped many ministries through the years with their mission and resourcing. Currently, he is the founder and leader of Digizent International. I spoke with Jim online, and we started with a spiritual legacy left to him by his family. Uh, my parents were both born in Los Angeles, which is pretty rare for that generation. L.A. didn't really grow till after the war. I realize as I age how incredible it is to have a family legacy of faith Mm. and what a challenge it is to pass on what we have such strong convictions about to our children and grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've known so many that have struggled in that regard. So I look at my family history and I'm just increasingly grateful for what God put in my life. Biola began, the Bible Institute of Los Angeles began in 1908 in L.A., and they needed a prominent leader. So they went to Chicago and stole away R.A. Torrey, <laughs> mm-hmm. who had been the first superintendent or president of, of Moody Bible Institute. Well, as it happened, my grandmother ended up living in the Torrey home for a year. She was a cook, and uh, while she was a student at Biola, uh, She later worked and managed the dining room where she met my grandfather, and they both graduated 1922-1923. When you have a heritage that goes back and you're you're looking at handwritten notes from your grandmother with Tori, you've seen how they've lived their faith, and it's been passed through your parents and to you and now to children and grandchildren. It's it's just extraordinary. And it's... uh, it was fun to just hear uh, stories of the legendary R.A. Tory and right. Viola now has a Tory Honors Program, but they didn't hear all the stories. So, um, <laughs> and these names are lost to uh, this generation. I'm I'm glad that we can talk about them. Well, they are, you know, and and Tory was a brilliant R.A. Tory was from Hoboken, New Jersey, where Frank Sinatra was fun too. I. Where do you get a trivia question where Sinatra and Tori come in the same? Now, who's Sinatra, some may say. But he, he went to Germany, and he, he really uh, took a left turn in his theology. And, and D.L. Moody uh, noticed it when he returned and said, you need to 
you need to get your feedback on the ground. You mm. need, and, and he sent them to Minneapolis to do inner city mission work, what we would call work with the homeless mm-hmm. today. And and he he got his faith got back on track, and he then was a world famous evangelist and came under Mr. Moody's direction to Moody. And and so then he ends up in Southern California and little tidbits like, yeah, he used to sleep outside. What? The famous, you know, guy in the suit and the beard. and Really? Well, it got warm in South Pasadena, and there was no air conditioning. So, yeah, most summer nights, he'd sleep outside. Oh, <laughs> something I did. <laughs> well, come great... on. What, what was really interesting, Grandma, about Dr. Tory? He said, well, Mrs. Tory didn't like it. But Dr. Tory loved Pinochle, and he had a standing <laughs> Pinochle game every Saturday night with his Sunday school superintendent and the other two invites varied. I said, Grandma, that's a card game. Dr. Tory was playing cards? You sure? Yes. You sure it wasn't like, no, it was Pinochle. It wasn't Rook. <laughs> it wasn't Rook. Or Uno. <laughs> <laughs> and who knows? And so it's just kind of delightful to see the other side of this, this, this brilliant guy who was very real, but but also, she was in awe of him. So, yeah. from, just from then forward. Uh, and then later on, our, our, our oldest daughter went to Biola, taught at Biola as an adjunct faculty member for four years. Clyde Cook, uh, the, the late president, just is one of my dear lifetime mm-hmm. friends. And uh, it, how God brings all that together is it's grace. Yeah, it, it's fun to look back on those stories with you, Jim. But I want to talk about your life here on first person uh how do you describe what you do jim because i look over the list of people and organizations that you have helped through the years it's the most extensive list i can imagine that you just come alongside people uh your name is not well known theirs is but you've been there helping them and and advising them you know my father uh, knew a lot of prominent people and i grew up in a in a church that was probably the most dominant church west of Chicago for biblical Christianity. So all the all the greats came through. And my dad just wasn't a people worshiper. He worshiped God. He led me to the Lord when I was five. I still remember sitting on the edge of the bed praying with him. Uh, but there was something about the fact you respected leaders, you didn't worship them. They mm-hmm. didn't need an acolyte. They need help. Mm-hmm. And what I learned over time is there were things that uh, I had learned at the hand of my great mentor, the the president, longtime president of Dallas Seminary, about how to communicate with constituencies, uh, how to do it biblically but effectively. But then I also realized uh, great leaders need a listening ear. They, They don't have enough people to talk to. And once they realize they can trust you, both in terms of you sharing their faith, but also not having to have them on a pedestal. Uh, it gives opportunities really to serve them in ways that um, were more unique than I ever would have thought. I was there in most cases to help them fund their ministries, but uh, the joys and uh, the meaning came yeah. in, in largely other ways. Went deeper than that, didn't it? It went deeper. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, for every person that you kind of shake your head at, uh, there are a lot of great people of course. that have come before us that 
we look up to with justification, several of whom have been guests on first person. Yeah. Well, oh, you noticed our guest list, I guess. <laughs> well, yes. Uh, wow. Um, well, I'd, I'd say that I enjoy talking with people from all walks of life, Jim. Whether you recognize their name or not, we all have a story to tell. And that's what's behind this program. So I think you get that uh, uh, very well. Um, I want to talk about one more name from the past, and that's uh, Dr. John Walverd. You were very close to Dr. Walverd, and some people some people recognize that name. Many won't. So talk about that episode in your life. Well, it was it was life changing. I had met him when he spoke at the at the church I grew up in in Los Angeles, but I was somewhere between awe and fear of him as a student. He was larger than life, president of Dallas Seminary from 1952 to I think 82, at least 30 years, maybe a little bit longer. But in in those days, when he took over, the seminary was not making payroll and it hadn't for more than 20 years Mm. you got a contract you signed the contract and everyone knew that you would not get paid what was in the contract it was bizarre you bring your electric bill into the treasurer and uh, he would give you enough money or would go cut a deal with the electric company to pay your bill and uh, the the visionary and and really godly founder of Dallas Seminary, Lewis Sperry Schaefer, was was an amazing man, but he wasn't a good businessman. And and he handpicked Dr. Walford. The board wasn't so sure, but he was handpicked to lead uh, Dallas Seminary into a a post-Schaefer era. So he inherited uh, an organization that really was on the edge financially. he had to work through a lot of issues about how do you stay biblical and yet raise the money it takes to fuel a growing school. He took over and there was a lot of GI Bill right after World War II. And and, uh, so there was growth there. By the time I was a student in the late 60s, early 70s, the growth was exponential. Um, I did my undergraduate work at the University of Southern California what was not unique about me is I was in the first class where more secular students rather than Bible college students were enrolled in the seminary. Now, how do you handle that growth? So uh, it was a challenge, but uh, I was asked to go to work. He asked me to go to work for him (laughs) in a humorous way. He told me he didn't think I could do it, but um, (laughs) he was going to offer me the position. A little reverse psychology, huh? (laughs) Uh, yeah, that, that's a long story I won't bore you with, but um, then the first couple of years I, I wrote for him, uh, my my copy was just hemorrhage. It was mostly red when it came out of his pen. But what I learned about communication in a whole different level, I could write going into that, but in a different way. What I learned about prayer um I challenged him in a staff meeting uh, one week. That, Come on, Dr. Walbert, you you say in, in your letters that we want people to pray. We really want people to give. We're just saying pray. And uh, I can't believe I was, a, I was just early 30s and a fool. Uh, he put it off to the side, took me to lunch a couple of days later, and 
and uh, talk through his belief in prayer, which was consistent with what I had seen, and then over years following that, absolutely consistent, but that he didn't fire me on the spot, some of whom thought my neck should have been had. Uh, he, here's this brilliant theologian known uh, largely for eschatology, but that's even an uh, interesting side story as to how he got there. Um, he was a man, first and foremost, of grace. I watched him work through some difficult things with prominent faculty members. And again, I became sort of a, an adopted, not a sort of an adopted son to him uh, all the way to the end. And so we, he had a chance to confide some of his struggles that way, to see a, a great man agonize over things that were worth agonizing over is just, I, I, I couldn't have learned from a better minister. We're hearing Jim Killian's story on this edition of First Person, and there's more coming up in a moment. Here's Ed Cannon on the vision for FEBC's weekly podcast. The primary purpose of Until All Have Heard, of course, is to share the experience that FEBC has because we have staff on the ground in so many oppressive places. But in addition to that, we're trying to speak to you in a way that only the kind of testimonies you'll hear from around the globe can do. Discover how the gospel is making a difference around the world. Search for Until All Have Heard on your favorite podcast platform or hear it online at febc.org. My guest is Jim Killian, and uh, Jim has been long involved in ministry of all sorts, uh, helping ministries uh, resource what God has called them to do, and I'm so delighted to have Jim with us today. Jim, we were talking about Dr. John Walford. I brought him up because he was perhaps one of the earliest mentors that you had in, in this whole arena that meant so much to you, and I wanted our listeners to know about him, of course, and 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 as you mentioned, he's well-known for his many books as well. Uh, you, you started, um, this is fun, too, to think about, because you started as a hotel clerk to work your way through seminary there at Dallas, huh? Yeah. Overnight hotel clerk. Crazy things you do uh, when you're in grad school, right? So I worked from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., four nights a week, <laughs> and then three of the next mornings I would I would go to class. But it was I was working at the at the Fairmont Hotel. It was their first outpost outside their flagship in San Francisco. And I learned a lot about how to serve. Mm -hmm. I learned a lot about taking care of people that uh, also helped me as uh, I ended up in in a in a business in a field that was was serving people, serving leaders. How do you describe what you do today, Jim? back around the turn of the century, and that would be the, the 21st century. Right, we know which one you're um, talking about. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I made the move to digital, and um, I did it because I had a lot of friends that would send their, their college-age uh, children to me to talk about what they might do in the field of communication, and I kept telling them, go on the internet, go on the internet. And finally, I decided I should follow my own advice. I, I had started some some internet properties uh, at our agency in the mid-90s early on. Literally could not give away websites in those days. Tried. Couldn't give them away. Hmm. But by 2000, I, I was focused on, on internet. So today, I am really uh, have a company, uh, Digizen International, and what we focus on is helping people communicate digitally, nonprofits, mostly ministries, mm -hmm. 
the problem with digital is it tends to be very labor intensive, much more than print. It's counterintuitive that way. So the bulk of my company is in Pueblo, Mexico, and we have the advantage of a highly educated, uh, highly trained team of more than uh, more than 50 in Mexico or a little over 60 overall. But we can do it paying them well and keeping our rates low. It speaks volumes to me, Jim, that you've made this transition at this stage in your life because most people are looking to retire or to say, you know, this is what I'm familiar with. This is what I'm comfortable doing. I'm sure there was some uncomfortableness about making that move. Well, th- there was, Wayne, and a little bit of it was necessi- mother being necessity of invention. Um, th- there were some challenges, and uh, there I am in my mid-60s doing this. One of them is, you know, they look at the old guy, and what does he know about Internet? And um, <laughs> uh, I, I largely have overcome that, but also have a team that's young. So um, yeah. it, uh, that makes a difference. But you know, God equips us to do what he wants us to do. And even though the road may seem or, or have a lot of curves to it, uh, the goal is never in question. And as Tim Keller uh, says, there is no plan B. Hmm. And, and God has his plan for our lives. The question is, how attentive will we be to that? Yeah. And so here I find myself. And it's been great fun. It's been some of the most fulfilling years because if you've done what I've done as long as I have, you've made more mistakes than anybody you work with. <laughs> so I've had a chance to do some make goods. And uh, key among those are, one, making it clear to everyone people are most important. And two, avoiding a blame culture. Uh, which is harder than I ever imagined, but, oh my goodness, talk about paying dividends. Yeah, let me go a little deeper on that. What do you mean by a blame culture? Well, I think it's built into us. I mean, go all the way back to the garden. The woman you gave me, the serpent, I mean, if it's Adam, if it's Eve, they're all blaming someone else for why they ate of the fruit that God told them not to eat. And think think about uh, children, you know, if you've if you've got little kids around and something wrong goes wrong, does the child ever raise their hand and say, I did it? And no, they're most likely to say, Billy did it yeah. or Jose yeah. did it, not me. Yeah, we have a saying in our home uh, called shame blame, where we'll call it out when we see it, right? I, I love that. Yeah, because it, we come with it. And in business um, of, of various kinds, too often, when things go wrong, it costs someone something. And by golly, we're gonna we're gonna find out who cost us that. Hmm. So if if money is your number one focus, and not looking bad is right there with that, you're gonna go into a blame culture, and and with that, it changes people's behavior. We just had a new person start starting our company yesterday. And people in our in our company chat are are welcoming the person on board. But more than that, if there's anything I can do to help, and they really mean that. After after anyone's with us for a while, they say, "I've never been in the company where I've had so many people wanting to help me succeed." 
Well, if it's a blame culture, you don't do that. You don't stick your neck up for someone else because if it goes wrong, I might get blamed, mm -hmm. right? And uh, so I don't risk. I, I, I don't help the other person. If you succeed too much, I may not succeed enough. But what if we all succeed? What if a rising tide raises all ships? Um, and, and you look about it. Look at Jesus. Who does Jesus really blame? The religious leaders are about the only ones that really get his wrath. Everyone else, even though on a human scale, they're the greatest of sinners, he's not there to blame. I mean, the woman at the well, what a great, what a great example. She wants to make it a discussion of theology. Well, your people worship here, and my people worship here, and, you know, what do you say about that? And he basically tells her, you know, you need something that's going to solve the dilemmas of your life that you've not found solutions for. I'm here to offer you water of life. You know, she has, her life has changed. But, but if he had said to her, you know, your problem is you've been married umpteen times and you're uh, a person of ill repute and you're, I should not even be talking to you because you're beneath me and on and on and on. No. He doesn't go that direction. No, no. Well, why should we? And, and, and we hurt people. Uh, in the name of fixing things. Well, there's great wisdom there, great wisdom, uh, which we can apply in family relationships, in business, in ministry. It all applies, uh, Everywhere. Jim. Everywhere. So, so very, very helpful. We just have a few seconds left, Jim. One last question. What brings you joy as you serve? Uh, people. People. It, it's a joy to help leaders but it's also a joy to help the least of these. One of the, uh, Dr. Howard Hendricks, or, or, or prof as we called him, gave me two memorable things among many, many memorable things. But one was that only two things last forever, the word of God and people. And I, I never really processed that before. Well, if you invest in those, um, and then he gave me permission to be creative. I grew up in a very science-focused, cognitive era, and I, if you go to seminary, you develop that side. Well, how do you be creative, too? You, you I'm sure, uh, had a, a river to cross at some point. <laughs> Am I going to take my creativity and bring it right. to what you do as an interviewer and a host and, and friend? You've been listening to Jim Killian. His wisdom and biblical understanding applied to our calling as Christians is very valuable. Currently, he is the founder and leader of Digizent International, a digital marketing firm, and we'll place a link to it at firstpersoninterview.com. I recently spoke with one of Jim's clients who says that his guidance has been instrumental in growing that ministry. Speaking of growth, the Far East Broadcasting Company is growing its reach into difficult areas of the world, sharing the gospel message with millions, some who have never heard. For more about this ministry and what is being accomplished in the name of Christ, please visit febc.org. I urge you to listen to the podcast until all have heard with FEBC President Ed Cannon and myself. Listen at febc.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us next week for First Person. First Person.